covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in with us this evening as uh, we've got another jam-packed edition of the program coming your way. As always, uh, encourage any feedback that you might have, whether you got some comments on uh, just the general uh, podcast or you want to comment on something that we talk about during the program, always welcome you to uh, tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio. That's M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. And as we get uh, closer and closer to Brewer season and into the Brewers uh, season, uh, you're going to see uh, a ton of tweets from me about the Brewers on a just about everyday basis. So if you uh, if you love the Brewers and if you're uh, listening to this uh, podcast, pretty good chance that you do, in all likelihood, uh, there will be something at some point that you at least get a kick out of there on the Twitter. But more than, more than anything else, I just enjoy being able to uh, interact with uh, some of you folks who have taken the opportunity to do so after uh, listening to one of the programs. Here's what we've got on tap today. I uh, have a couple good interviews this week. Always enjoy the interviews. All of our interviews have been good, but we got a couple uh, good ones coming up today. Uh, Brad Ford's going to be on. He is uh, from Disciples of Euchre. He is a blogger uh, for the Disciples of uh, Euchre website, and uh, that will be part of our uh, social media roundtable segment. And then we're going to do something a little bit different this week on our uh, Down on the Farm segment. Uh, over the last few weeks, you've heard us talk to uh, all the full-season broadcasters. We've hit... Uh, the Timber Rattlers and the Mudcats, uh, the Shuckers and the Sky Sox, we've gone through them all, and we're going to rotate back through those guys here sooner than later, and they're going to be a normal part of the program going forward. But quite honestly, not a whole lot has changed from a minor league standpoint since we talked to those guys. So what we're doing this week when we go down on the farm, we're going to welcome in Bobby DeMiro. He is the founder of Baseball Census, which is one of the uh, newest organizations out there really doing uh, baseball prospecting and breaking down uh, all the prospects and, and, and just everything that you see. Uh, you see a lot of it, obviously, with like MLB Pipeline and Baseball America. Baseball Census is trying to enter into that space as uh, they are really covering all the top prospects and the rising stars at all level of the minor leagues and even doing some stuff with high school ball and, and college ball and everything. So Bobby's going to join us coming up later on the program. He's had an opportunity to see a number of the top prospects in the Brewers organization, and we're going to get his take on uh, on some of those guys. So that's coming up here in just a while. You know, the the World Baseball Classic is continuing on, and it's kind of t- it's it's a little bit tough to talk about the World Baseball Classic in a forum like this because I don't know when you're listening. We record this on Sunday evenings. Uh, by the time you're listening, if you're listening even on Monday with all these games that happen basically in the middle of the night, uh, United States time, but if you're listening later on the week, a lot of the numbers that we give might not be super rel- relevant anymore. But nonetheless, uh, there's a number of brewers who are participating in the World Baseball Classic and just want to run over those guys a bit and tell you how they're doing. Uh, the Dominican Republic has had a great start to the World Baseball Classic with 3-0 and in pool play. Uh, Jonathan VR has appeared in a couple games, one for four with two runs and a walk. Uh, Willie Peralta actually started on Sunday. He allowed just one run on two hits and four innings, so that was a good performance from uh, Willie Peralta. Puerto Rico has uh, Jorge Lopez and Hiram Burgos 
uh, on the uh, on that team. Jorge Lopez started on Saturday, allowed just a run in four and a third innings. He got the win against Mexico. Hiram Burgos throw uh, through three no hit innings on Sunday for Puerto Rico, which also goes three and zero in pool play. Uh, Mexico, Carlos Torres has had a uh, nice start to his run in the World Baseball Classic. He's uh, pitched just one inning, has not given up a hit. And then maybe the darling of the World Baseball Classic from a team perspective is uh, Team Israel. And they have just absolutely been on a roll. And it has been so much fun to to watch what they've done because they weren't really expected to do much. They took... Uh, pool A with a 3-0 and record. And uh, Cody Decker, another individual, another Brewers minor leaguer, uh, so far for him, 2-for-10 with a run scored. But I just you, you get the sense that a lot of people are very excited for, uh, for what's going on with, uh, with Team Israel. They're 3-0. and in case, you, uh, in case you did not hear, the United States did defeat Canada on Sunday. So they finish uh, Pool C play with uh, a 2-1 record, and they do advance to, uh, to the next round. And uh, we'll see how that goes uh, moving forward. So that goes into uh, there's another round of pool play. Uh, in Tokyo and in San Diego, in San Diego, uh, the United States is being joined by uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and Tokyo. You've got uh, you've got that entire pool set so far. Israel, uh, Japan, Cuba, Netherlands are all in that, and then eventually they'll get to Los Angeles. Well, they'll finish this thing off at uh, Dodger Stadium, and that's going to begin on March 20th. But a lot of fun right now to see uh, so many Brewers players participating in the World Baseball Classic and for the most part, having a good amount of success. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. So we're at that point in spring training where I feel like numbers are kind of starting to matter. And those are your big headlines this week. Just the, the moves that are being made by individuals. And we're still early enough in spring training that nobody's winning a job, nobody's losing a job at this point, but you're starting to look at these numbers and go, huh, that's interesting. I think the number one guy in that category has got to be first baseman Jesus Aguilar. In 11 games, so he's played a bunch. He's played as much as just about anybody. In 11 games, he has a 440 average. He has three home runs, nine RBIs, has a slugging percentage at 840. He is uh, he is on track to make this team. And with David Stearns, they really like having players, especially if you're not a starting player, but even starting players. They like having players who can go play a good number of positions. Uh, you, they, they don't especially like in having a backup guy who can only go play one position. Well, Aguilar is going to force the issue here. If he continues to hit like this through spring training, he's going to hit his way onto the roster, and really he is a one-position kind of guy. He plays over at first base. Still early, and we're going to talk about this a bit with uh, Brad Ford in, in just a while. Still early, but you look at the numbers that Eric Thames is putting up, and he is struggling so far in spring training. In his 10 games and 24 at-bats, he's got a 167 average, doesn't have a home yet, home run yet, has only driven in uh, one run. 
I don't think Jesus Aguilar is going to take over first base or win win a first base job that we didn't even know that a job was kind of on the line for. But watching this uh, as it moves forward is uh, is something to keep an eye on. And if the numbers continue to play their way out this way, and we're still talking about it two, three weeks from now, then all of a sudden maybe it does become a bit of an issue. You know, last week uh, we talked about Scooter Jeanette. He got banged up. And uh, he, when he, when it happened, his last game that he had appeared in was uh, all the way back on March second. That was uh, last Thursday, and, and he made the comment that it's not even worth talking about, not worth writing about. He was going to be fine. Well, it took him a while to get back into action, and uh, he finally was uh, back in the game uh, on uh, Sunday. Against Cincinnati, he goes one for three, but he plays second base, and that was the first time he had played second base during all of spring training. He had uh, specifically been uh, working between third base and left field during that time, so play second base for the first time, and he's another guy to keep watching for because if he continues to put up the good offensive numbers, you figure they'll find a place for him on the roster. Each week, we're going to continue to look back and see who has done what in terms of you know trying to go and, and win a starting pitching position. And I think this week, both Jimmy Nelson and Chase Anderson certainly helped themselves out. We'll start with uh, Jimmy Nelson. He got the start on Sunday against Cincinnati. He went three scoreless innings with just one hit, but more importantly, four strikeouts and no walks. And uh, Nelson, again, there's so many guys competing for these spots. I think there's four guys competing for the back two spots of the rotation. I've said this before. I'll continue to say it. You've got uh, a starting rotation who I think you can pencil in, Junior Guerra, Zach Davies, and even Willie Peralta. I know a lot of people like to put Peralta in the category of kind of competing. To me, he's in. So that leaves you four guys, Jimmy Nelson, Chase Anderson, Matt Garza, Tommy Malone, those four guys competing for two spots. And we're not even mentioning the Josh Haders of the world and other young guys who probably won't break camp uh, with the team. So Jimmy Nelson helps himself out on Sunday, three innings, uh, just one hit, four strikeouts, and no walks. Uh, I also think helping himself out a bit this week was Chase Anderson. He got a start on Friday. He went three innings. He did give up a run. It was an unearned run uh, on two hits, but he had two strikeouts and no walks. Uh, His ERA is sitting at three through uh, three appearances. So, so far, so good for the most part for those two guys. Uh, Then you have Tommy Malone. I wouldn't say he hurt himself, but he didn't help himself. He uh, also appeared in a game uh, on Friday as uh, against the White Sox. That was a split squad day, so he started that game. He went two and two-thirds innings. He gave up two runs on four hits, no strikeouts, no walks. Not horrible. Uh, but uh, that, those were the first runs he'd given up. So as we kind of do these sits each week and you know judge guys if they took a step forward, took a step back, kind of stayed even, I would say Tommy Malone kind of stayed even because he had a performance which was not great. Again, I'm not killing him for it. You're going to see things like that, especially in spring training. And then Matt Garza, he had that first appearance where he looked pretty good against Seattle, but since then it has not gone well for him. He uh, pitched on Monday the 6th and gave up two runs on five hits in two innings, and uh, then he came back and uh, pitched again on Saturday the 11th, and these have all been starts, and he went uh, two and a third innings, allowing two runs on three hits, no strikeouts, but he walked three in that outing. So uh, Matt Garza is not looking great right now uh, in terms of trying to win one of those starting 
starting rotation spots. And what do you do with him if he doesn't uh, break camp as one of the starting five? That's another topic of discussion we'll get into uh, later on in the program with Brad Ford. All right, uh, and then kind of a fun story this past week. Lucas Ersig is really doing a nice job for himself. I think we mentioned Ersig last week on the podcast. Through uh, eight games, he's hitting 400, two home runs, seven RBIs. Um, he is somebody who was drafted this past year and was kind of unknown. He had been at a big school and then ended up at an NAIA school. And a good job by Brewers scouts to, to find him. And he's gotten an opportunity to play some big league games here in spring training. In fact, he has appeared now in eight games. And more and more, he's maybe looking like the third baseman of the future. Don't take what I'm saying as, as saying he's going to break camp with the team. He certainly is not. He's got a lot of minor league play in his future. But he had a very special game when he hit uh, two home runs. That was uh, That was back on Monday. And the fun story that goes along with this, and Adam McAlvey did a nice job of sharing the story over at uh, Brewers.com. So he hit a home run, and it landed on the roof structure of the ballpark out in right field. And the Brewers wanted to get that ball back as it just sat on the roof of this pavilion. And in fact, uh, Mike Vassallo, who is the public relations director for the Brewers, he was trying to find somebody who could uh, go get that ball. And everybody basically said, you're out of luck. And then finally, he uh, he met a City of Goodyear electrician who uh, agreed to help. And uh, they got out a ladder and they climbed to the rooftop and they were able to uh, come down uh, with the baseball. And then the baseball was uh, delivered to uh, to Lucas Ersig. So just a fun story uh, this past week. And uh, you can read the whole thing. I think there's even a video up if you want to check that out for yourself over at uh, Brewers.com. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, does continue on, powered by WTMJ Mobile. Indeed, it is time for the Social Media Roundtable right now. Very happy to uh, welcome in uh, Brad Ford. You can uh, read him at Disciples of Euchre. You can follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Say that three times real fast. Uh, Brad Ford joins us. Hey, Brad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. How about yourself? Uh, doing all right. A uh, lot of things to talk about as spring training uh, continues on. Let me just start this with a very kind of general question for you. As we're a few weeks into spring training, what's maybe the the, the storyline that you've most been uh, watching throughout this whole process? Uh, well, there's one big one, and it's what are the Brewers going to do with starting pitcher? Um, they have some veterans that have been there for a while, and you kind of expect to uh, really get the start, but then they have some younger players pushing those veterans. So you have players like Matt Garza, who right now is having a pretty rough spring. But then you look at the other starters, um, where Chase Anderson is a veteran who's a little bit more affordable than Garza, doesn't have the money tied up, he's having a pretty good spring. Uh, you have rookies like Josh Hader, who again is having a pretty good spring, but you expect kind of start at triple A and come up in that emergency case. But if he continues pitching the way he is, kind of hard for Cray Council and the Brewer staff to deny him that opportunity. So it's just interesting seeing how that's playing out right now. You mentioned Matt Garza, and 
uh, in three games and five and a third innings. He's given up four runs on nine hits. Uh, we're recording this interview on, on Sunday night, so for people who are listening to it maybe later in the week, those numbers might be a little bit different. But uh, through Sunday's action, that's where he's at. A week ago, I kind of felt good about Garza being one of these guys that was going to be in this uh, spot, but are we maybe moving towards a position where the Brewers are just going to have to cut ties with Garza knowing they're going to have to pay him out this year? Well, that's one question I've been asking a lot this spring. I know a lot of uh, Brewers bloggers and uh, beat writers are hesitant to say that they'll make such an aggressive move. Uh, but they've done things like this in the past. Uh, granted, later in the season, they cut Dupont after a really horrid start in the last year of his contract. They cut uh, Randy Wolf in the middle of the season after he had a, a horrible half season. And both were owed, you know, double-digit millions like Garza. So, but right now, you're not using that money on anything else. The Brewers have a lot of budget to work with. Yes, they'll just be wasting money, but it's not like they're wasting money that they would be using on another player. Um, whereas Garza has shown before that he's not really willing to step into a bullpen role. So what else do you do with him? Yeah. If he's a detriment to your starting rotation. So I think it's going to be really telling of the David Stearns era to see where they go with that. And, I mean, this is one of the, aside from a few of the rookies coming up, one of the last big landmarks we have from Doug Melvin, probably the biggest Grayson signing he made before stepping down. Yeah, you know, you kind of answered what my next question was going to be, but I, I think it's worth kind of circling back on because all those things you mentioned before, whether it was Supon or Wolf, I mean, that was all Doug Melvin. So it, it's tough to completely compare those situations to this one because you got a new guy making decisions. Is this going to be a decision with Garza? Let's assume that he doesn't come around in spring training and he obviously is not one of the top five starters. Is what they do with Matt Garza kind of help us to – See, you know, make predictions in the future when they've got maybe situations like these with David Stearns? Uh, definitely. It'll definitely be something that tells us what his mindset is when you have a lot of money tied into a veteran and the younger players pushing him for that position. So it'll be one of those things where it's really interesting to watch because for, you know, future sake, it'll tell us that. But it also it's kind of weird because I'm not sure David Stearns will be in this situation again where he'll have veterans eating a lot of money. Uh, and, I mean, he'll get to make the decision on players. He might be a little bit more connected to players where because he's not the one who signed Garza, he might not be as connected to the idea of keeping him. Um, so, But I definitely think it's really telling for him as a GM to see how he's willing to handle his budget and his money in order to get the right players in the right spot. Through uh, through spring training games of Sunday, Jesus Aguilar, 440 average, three home runs, nine RBIs, 500 on base, 840 slugging percentage, OPS 1.340. Eric Thames uh, has played in 10 games, 167 average. Uh, does not, I mean, the, the numbers just aren't there. I don't have to go through all his numbers. I'm not trying to kill the guy, but has uh, are we at the point yet where it's starting to turn into a competition over at first base? Uh, I just really don't think it will. Um, I think this is a guy who is the organization's guy in fame. That they really want to have success and give him the opportunity. Because, I mean, they've decided for three years, not that big a contract, probably or pretty close to what they're playing Garza altogether. So if they cut him loose, I mean, you're on the hook for about the same amount of money. Um, but 
breakouts in spring training and failures in spring training are kind of hard to judge. They always tell you, you know, you can't, uh, it's numbers that you should really push to the wayside uh, because of players working and especially veterans working on particular parts of their game or games to try and build strength. And right now, Aguilar might not be working on anything, just trying to impress and crushing early fastballs. So that's not necessarily the case, especially with the way he's walking. But um, it's always something a little bit behind the scenes, although I'm really happy with how he's performing. But I think before he gets playing time, he'll need to do it in the actual season, and things will have to keep this streak going on. You had a you had a piece recently, and you it was uh, titled Five Players Who Could Cut be, be Cut Before Opening Day," and things have changed since you since you wrote that. In fact, we've already <laughs> talked about a couple guys uh, that were in that piece. But another guy you mentioned is Scooter Jennett, and he finally gets back on the field after being banged up uh, for for a week or so. His his hitting numbers are fine, and again, like you mentioned, it's spring training, and you can't always judge guys off hitting numbers. He's at time looked good in, in left field. At times, has not looked good in left field. Uh, he's played a little bit of third base uh, and, and has been okay. What's your takeaway on what's going to happen with Scooter Jeanette? Right. Well, in that article, I thought you know it, he was kind of going to get pushed out, um, but right now, I think uh, he's like you said. He hasn't looked great in left field, but he's picking up a little bit more quickly than I expected. Uh, some of the infield actions of when he was playing shortstop earlier in his professional career are clearly transitioning and helping him for third base, where you don't have to be as mobile, but you still have some of the same movements. He has a decent arm there to get it over to first. Um, and I've really been happy with how he's been performing. And I think as long as you don't see any really horrible holes in his game, they're going to keep him on as a left-handed bat on the bench. Um, clearly, uh, my uh, five players that could be cut by opening day isn't shaping out the, quite the way. But that's the fun with think pieces before action gets underway. Um, so, but he's actually, I mean, like you said, he had, he had the 10 days off. He looked okay in limited action. And I really think that the organization is just going to hold on to him for the time being. And he's more likely, in my mind, a non-tender candidate. Uh, going into next season. We continue to talk with uh, Brad Ford. You can read him at disciplesofeuchre.com uh, or uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, he is at Brew Crew Blue. Say that three times real fast, as I said earlier when I was uh, introducing him. That, that's hard to say. That's not great for uh, for radio interviews, Brad. Uh, right. Well, I see, and when I made it, I wasn't thinking about it. I was just trying to uh, lead Hubby Blue. Uh, and at that time, I was very passionate about the Cubs Brewers rivalry. So, um, you know, maybe I'll have to change it up to make it a little something easier, but I'll give people a little bit to follow me after the podcast. Yeah, you know what? You're, you're fine. On, I can, I can, I can uh, talk it out each time. So I'm <laughs> you're, you're in okay shape. Have you, uh, have you enjoyed the World Baseball Classic? Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of Brewers players from both the Major League and the Minor League side of things who are participating in it. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, um, and it's really interesting to see. Um, I think what really makes it fun is the energy that the players are putting in. You look at the fun that Puerto Rico and the Dominican are having on the field, and it's just hard not to absorb that energy. Um, and I think it's really good for baseball, especially on the world stage. Um, I wish that, I mean, the U.S. is doing okay right now, but I, I think if they could substantially better it'd be easier for the u.s to get really excited about it like the other countries are 
But overall, I think it's a really neat thing, and it's kind of nice for these guys to get actual competition before the season starts and really get going. This is uh, this could be old news by the time for people who are listening to this later, but as I speak to you, I just got the notification that uh, Team USA did defeat Canada eight nothing with home runs from uh, Nolan Arnado and, and Buster Posey. Is that do you think that's payback for that uh, Pan Am game championship game a couple years ago where Pete Orr I think he scored the winning run and uh, and Canada beat the United States? You know, I was thinking about that earlier today. <laughs> It's a nice little thing to have after after that because it wasn't fun to uh, take that loss uh, four years ago or well, whenever. Um, so it's it's nice to have and hold over Canada now. Pete Orr was, uh, I spent six years in Colorado Springs as one of the broadcasters there, including that uh, the first year of the Brewers affiliation. That's when Pete was there. Pete is, without a doubt, one of my favorite Sky Sox players of all time. Yes. Yeah, good guy, good interview, good team leader, the whole nine. So I didn't want to see Canada beat the United States, but if there's any guy that's going to do it, I was rooting for Pete Orr. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's always nice when it's a member of your organization. It's like, you know, if uh, Mexico is playing and Carlos Torres gets the save against, uh, you know, the U.S., I'd rather it be a Brewers player that I'm cheering for and uh, get that little bit of Brewers pride. You know, it makes the blow here. Absolutely. Before we uh, before we let you go, uh, can you talk to me a little bit about what you guys have going on over at uh, Disciples of Euchre and maybe what uh, you personally are working on for uh, for upcoming uh, pieces that might be coming out? Yeah, so we are talking right now about doing some, it's always fun before you get into the season, to do some uh, pretty bold predictions. Uh, so we'll have some tamer predictions Boulder predictions, and then I'm working out on my regular piece of the Friday Five. Uh, I'll be posting every uh, Friday or every other Friday. Right now it's been a little touch and go because my wife and I are in the house hunt, but uh, I have a few ones that I've been writing that are ready to go, so you can check those out Friday morning, and then I'll be posting some minors updates as we get into the season. Anyone who follows me on my Twitter handle knows that I'm all about the prospects. So I love writing prospect pieces, and especially with some of the successes we're seeing right now in spring training as uh, the prospects get opportunities because other players are in the World Baseball Classic. We're seeing a lot of fun things uh, that could potentially foreshadow the future of the Brewers organization. Read them at disciplesofeuchre.com. Follow them on Twitter at BrewCrewBlue. Brad, uh, really appreciate you taking a few moments with us, and uh, we'll get you back on uh, the podcast very soon. Sounds great, Matt. Thank you. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. It is time to go down on the farm as we continue on with Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. You know, generally in this segment, uh, we're talking with uh, team broadcasters or people uh, inside the organization but it's always good to get an outside view on the organization, and that's what we're going to do today as we uh, bring in Bobby DeMiro. He is the uh, founder of Baseball Census. You can uh, follow him at Bobby DeMiro on Twitter. Uh, Baseball Census is at Baseball Census, which is uh, a website now and an organization covering uh, the top prospects and rising stars at all levels of the uh, minor leagues. We welcome Bobby on to the program right now. Bobby, appreciate you taking a few moments. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great. You guys are actually the, the first baseball-centrist uh, podcast interview, so if it goes great, I think we have a wonderful future, and if it doesn't, you know, we should just close up shop right here. Just blame me. If it all goes wrong, you can just blame me, and everything will be fine. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you know, before we get in, we're going to get your take on some, uh, some of the individual players. You've seen a whole bunch of guys uh, as you've gone through uh, your time scouting players. But uh, you know, some of the big sources, whether it's MLB Pipeline, whether it's uh, Baseball America, they've all got the team rankings, and, and they view the Brewers quite well, especially since this rebuild that started at the end of the Doug Melvin era and now definitely right now with David Stearns. Do, from a very general standpoint, do you agree with that? Do you like uh, the way the Brewers minor league system and, and the way that the, the farm system is coming together? I do. I, I, I really do. I think obviously anything in a rebuild has to do this. This is what the Rockies have done. This is what the Reds are maybe trying to do. So it makes sense to the Brewers here generally. And, and specifically, you know, it's ironic. I haven't seen much of the Brewers 1 and 2, you know, Lewis Brinson, Corey Ray. I haven't seen much of those guys, but I've seen everything from three on down. And and what I've seen in kind of the middle prospect level is at such a point to say, okay, this this is a deep system. It's an interesting system. Obviously, a lot of these guys are going to wash out or fail or get traded or whatever. But but I, I got to believe from all the organizations that I've had on for for quite a while, um, I really like this system. It's 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 things could be a lot worse. Let's put it that way. <laughs> In in David Stern's first trade deadline last year, the you know the guys come over from the Rangers and the Lucroy Jeffers deal. Uh, you traded Will Smith and, and and you get Bickford in that move. Did did you like again speaking generally? We'll get more specifically in a moment. But generally, do you think that David Stern's did a good job at last year's deadline and even in the off season with like the Tyler Thornburg move uh, in terms of getting good value when he's been spinning off major league pieces? I I really do. The, the guy I really like is going to get a lot of attention, both positively and unfortunately with the, with the drug testing, uh, a little bit of negative attention. But but the move that I liked that they really made was Luis Ortiz, the right-handed pitcher. I think MLB Pipeline has him like number four or something. I saw him last year in the Cal League when he was at the Rangers. That that dude's a pitcher. I know he doesn't look the part. He's a, you know, a little chunky, if you will. He doesn't have a projectable body. That's a shrewd move. That's a guy who was pitching in a terrible environment in California, total hitter's environment and really carved people up, really showed he kind of knew how to pitch. Um, that's, that's, I think a move like that is going to play out well for them. And there's a couple other ones, too. I really like what they did, like you uh, mentioned this offseason, picking up Mauricio Dubon, a little bit more of a mid-level prospect. Maybe people don't know him as well, but I think that's a guy with a really high floor who's going to sneak up on some people. And, and a guy like that has a legitimate shot to be a big leaguer for a long time, whether it's Tilly-type guy. When you make moves like that, everybody can pick the number one prospect. Everybody can take a chance on the great athlete or whatever it is in the first round. It's that second-level move that if you make a dozen of those very good second-level moves kind of under the radar, that's how you get a top-five farm system. And I think, frankly, that's where the Brewers are, those kind of moves. This time last year, everybody was so excited about Brett Phillips because he was coming off a pretty good year at Double A. The thought process was he was going to be at Triple A last year, and who knows? Maybe by the time uh, September call-ups come up, he he might be making his uh, debut at Miller Park. The season doesn't go that way. He repeats Double A. He kind of takes a step back. Uh, what's what's going to happen with Phillips? Is this guy going to live up to uh, to what we were thinking a year plus ago, or was last year a big red flag? 
I don't know that last year's necessarily a red flag. I, you know, it's funny. I mean, cause, cause you know how this is and you talk to these guys and I think fans, if you don't talk to them or if you don't see them, a bad year or even a bad month is a cause for concern. But I think you need to look at kind of the broader context and the broader situation about the year. Double A was a hard level. He was, he turned 22 during the year last year. So he's, he's not incredibly young, but he's not old for the level. He'll be 22 until what, the end of May of this year if he, if he repeats double-A or hopefully gets the triple-A or whatever. Um, he's got physical tools. He has a cannon for an arm in right field, and I can't overstate that enough. He has an unbelievable arm. He's a good athlete. He's got some speed. He certainly has some power. And I think with him specifically, with Phillips specifically, and Bruce fans are going to find this out, not that it you know necessarily matters for wins and losses, but one of the nicest guys one of the funniest guys, mm-hmm. one of the best attitudes. And if you're talking about a guy who's going to get a little adversity thrown his way, I'm not, frankly, I'm not too worried about it in that regard because he's the kind of guy who's going to be able to take it. Now, if he has another terrible year, okay, sure, maybe we need to worry or maybe there's something that's going on or maybe the projections are wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong about that. But this is the kind of guy that he's had adversity. He got adversity now for, what, 12 months, 15 months or whatever. Let's see how he handles it. He's got the he's got the mental and physical tools to handle it. I think this year is just as good a test as any, and and you shouldn't necessarily be lower on him just because of one bad year. Um, as as maybe overly optimistic as that sounds. I don't know if you follow uh, Tim Dillard on Twitter, the uh, the pitcher who's yeah. a vet, veteran guy. So if he comes to AAA this year, it'll be Tim Dillard. Cody Decker and also Brett Phillips in the same clubhouse. There could be some great videos coming out of that threesome right there. I, I just feel bad for any guy who, you know, if you're a starting pitcher and you like to prepare in the quiet or, you know, before a game, if you want to have a quiet moment or whatever, like there's going to be no quiet moment in that clubhouse. You're never going to be able to sleep on a team bus. That's like practical joke city, right? Those two guys together are going to be, you're, you're going to have to split them up like an elementary school. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are, uh, we're very happy right now to be able to uh, continue our conversation with uh, Bobby DeMiro. He is the founder of Baseball Census. Follow him on Twitter at Bobby DeMiro and uh, Baseball Census is at Baseball Census. Uh, also uh, available online at BaseballCensus.com. There was so much excitement in the state of Wisconsin last year with what was going on in Appleton at the end of the season with the Timber Rattlers as they made just a great run in the postseason. And the guy in the middle of all that seemingly was Asan Diaz. And everybody I talked to uh, that saw him in Appleton this past year just said what a special player this guy is going to be, and he's going to be an impact player at the big league level. Do you agree? I uh, Here's my Asan Diaz story. I'm glad you mentioned him. I, I was going to lead off with him had we not gone down a different route. I think he is... It, it, obviously, he's not the best prospect in the system, but he's up there, and I think he's way even maybe a little undervalued. In the Arizona Fall League last, last fall, last October, night game at Salt River, there's about 15 people in the stands. Everybody, every bat that cracks, every, every hit that, that anybody has is, is reverberating around the stadium. Isan Diaz walks to the plate in you know the middle of the game, nothing's going on, whatever. Hits a ball off the end of the bat, just kind of flips his bat out, opposite field fly ball, Goes all the way to the warning track, gets caught, just a routine fly out, but never fired his hips, never did anything but threw his hands out, hit a ball 350 feet, and it came off the end of his bat louder than anything I heard all day. Mm. And I took that, and I went home from that, and I don't know why it stuck with me, but every day since then in the fall league, I watched him again and again and again, and all he does is hit the barrel on the bat, he swings loud, if that makes sense, and he just, 
he finds a way to get it done. I really, really like him as a ball player. Maybe that's a simple, you know, simple evaluation of him. But by God, he just finds a way to put the barrel on the ball, and every time he he's, he's up, something happens, and it's loud. That's uh, that's exciting for for Brewers fans. You know, for to kind of go off of guys for a second. That shows that you know there's guys at the AAA and AA level that are that are going to be in Milwaukee at some point over the next couple of years. But this farm system is is deep, and you've got these guys at, at single A and guys who were even playing short season ball last year. It, it seems uh, you know right now, and we we all know that prospects can always uh, flame out. But as it sits right now, there's not just a stacked you know single level of this farm system. To me, it seems like it's pretty even throughout. And that's, I think, the thing you want. You want to get the best athletes at every level, and you want to project them as best you can as athletes. You know, Diaz may not be a shortstop of the future or whatever because of whoever else is in the system. Dubone might work as a utility player because of whoever else is in the system. But coupled together, you know, Dubone was very well regarded in the Red Sox system. He comes to Milwaukee, and he's kind of middle of the road in the top 30. That says something. That says a lot about how deep the farm system is in general. And, and if you take that and you have a deeper farm system and only a certain amount of those guys work out and you get a Diaz and you get a Dubone, you're doing pretty well for yourself. I, I, I would imagine. I mean, we'll see. Ultimately, the test of time will be four years from now, but we'll see what happens. One of the areas in the farm system that's not deep, I mean, there's a million outfielders, there's a million middle infielders, there's good pitching in there, but from a catching perspective, that's probably the one area in the organization that there's not a lot of minor league depth. Uh, Jacob Nottingham is, is one of those guys in there. Does he have a chance to, to be a major league everyday starter, or are you thinking that the Brewers eventually are going to have to go somewhere else? I, I am probably higher on him than most people. This is not to say that I think he's you know, necessarily an all-star or whatever. I just, you know, I watched him a lot in the fall. Um, and I probably saw him catch uh, 20, 20-something games in the fall. Um, it, it, the power is unquestionable, obviously. The guy can hit the ball a long way. He's going to strike out a lot. That's modern baseball. That's okay to a certain degree. The, the thing that I noticed, behind the plate, everybody criticizes him behind the plate. He's inconsistent and this and that. I don't know if it's inconsistency so much as it is youth and a lack of focus and just having to adjust to different pitchers at different levels and getting thrown around. You know, we forget he's with the Astros, he's with the A's, he's with the Brewers, he goes to the Fall League and, and catches new pitchers. Everywhere he goes, there's an adjustment period and a learning curve. You know, give him a couple of years to find a home somewhere, and the results have to come, there's no question. But I just wonder that if he becomes a better catcher here in the next year or two defensively, because he gets with just the Brewer system and just the Brewer staff, and he can learn, you know, 30 or 40 pitchers across a couple levels in the Brewer system as opposed to jumping from the Astros to the A's to the Brewers to the Pauly. Time will tell. We'll see. I, I like him maybe a little bit better than a lot of other people. I think he's physical. He's real big, real strong. Um, but, you know, <laughs> the, the catching position is the catching position in the major league level for a reason, and it's hard to do. And I think it's doubly hard when you lose a guy like Luke Roy, who made it look relatively very easy, and you say, well, gee, how can we replace that? I don't know if you can replace that. You know, that's, that's easier said than done. So does, does Nottingham do it alone? I, I don't know. I guess we'll see. But, you know, I, I think there's something positive to take away from him right now. And, and you know what? Call me in uh, six months, and we'll see how I feel about it. <laughs> last guy I want to ask you a question about. Uh, Phil Bickford came over last year in the Will Smith deal, and he was somebody who uh, previously uh, in his career had kind of been, 
Uh, he was more thought of in terms of prospect ranking than he is now. What, how do you view him? Is, is he somebody that's going to be a big part uh, of this team in the big leagues, or, or, or is his stock kind of falling? I, I think the biggest issue with him, you almost have to give him an incomplete because of the drug test, because he didn't sit out for the first you know, 50 games or whatever it is because of a drug of abuse test. Um, and that's and that's the biggest problem. It's the biggest question. You say, was this a one-time mistake? Do you do you forgive him for it and say, okay, hey, let's learn from it? Is this going to be an ongoing problem? Is this going to affect him on the field? This stuff to me is unquestionable. I don't think he's necessarily a number one ace type of guy, but he's got above average stuff. There's no question there. He's young. I think he can move pretty quickly. He's only ever succeeded as a starter. I really liked him in San Jose when he was with the Giants last year. I thought he was on the ball real well in San Jose. Uh, before uh, before the trade, but you know, can the kid stay out of his own way? I think you ask that about a lot of kids. It just gets magnified when you ask it about a first round draft pick starting pitcher. Um, so, so I think he's another incomplete guy, and I think maybe we have to see, you know, at the end of this year or if he goes to the fall league next year because he needs innings. We'll know a lot more about him come October or November and say, okay, you lost the first fifty games of the year. Now, how do you respond? How do you adjust physically and and mentally? Are you are you mature enough to put this behind you as a, as a 21-year-old kid? You know, I, I think this year's a big year for him. Bobby DeMiro joining us. He's the founder of Baseball Census. Baseball prospecting, Bobby, has become a very kind of busy space in the last uh, 10 years. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you guys are doing at uh, Baseball Census that's quite honestly, you know, maybe different from uh, from what some of the other uh, sites are doing? Yeah, you are, uh, you're, you're telling me about this place being busy. I think the value that we offer um, is – we have a lot of visuals. We have tons and tons of video. Check back in the next few months if you're a Brewers fan, if anybody's out there listening. We'll go to Rookie Ball up in Montana. We'll go to AAA in Colorado Springs, and we're going to get video of every single guy we see. We have videos, photos, interviews with people. A lot of prospecting is a lot of scouting, writing reports, and that's valuable. And it's very valuable if the report is coming from somebody you know. But I think our difference, or our main difference here as we kind of grow is, not only are we going to tell you what we think and kind of what we see and whatever, we're going to show you. We're going to show you 15 at-bats from this guy or a weekend series from this guy or here's, you know, Phil Bickford throwing three innings. Here's video of the whole thing. Um, and I think that's valuable because whether you're a fan or a reporter or a scout or whatever, um, the visuals make a difference. The visuals help make up our minds. And, you know, the numbers and the stats are valuable, but I think they only take you so far it, to go back to Diaz, that, that story about Diaz, how loud he is hitting the ball, you don't get that if you just look at the stats. Um, you know, take it for what it's worth, take it for a grain of salt or whatever, but those are the kind of things I think you observe with video, and, you know, maybe that's a differentiator for us, or, or maybe I'm just crazy and, and we'll be out on the street soon. I guess we'll see. Depends on, it depends on you and this podcast, right? <laughs> yes. Everything is on me. There's so much pressure right now. I'm trying to handle it. Uh, last thing for you, and this kind of going off uh, to something different for just a moment, but uh, you've got a book that's going to be coming out, uh, We as Blaze, and it goes on. It looks at the uh, final season of the Bakersfield Blaze, and I think for those of us who are connected to minor league baseball, that was something that a lot of us were kind of keeping an eye on last year. And I remember when that final game was played, all the stuff I saw on Twitter, and I've had friends who who have been in that organization and everything. Uh, what I think this book is just a it's it's very soon to uh, releasing. Uh, what can people expect out of this book? Yeah, it is. Uh, it'll be minor league opening day, the sixth or seventh, whatever it is. Uh, there'll be an e version, a Kindle version, and a paperback version uh, on Amazon and stuff. But 
it is, if you kind of hit the nail on the head, if you're a minor league baseball fan to any degree, it doesn't matter if it's the Brewers or the Mariners, which is who the Blazers were affiliated with. It doesn't matter what the team is. This is a look into what life is actually like in the minors and what life is like, to be frank, in the worst minor league location in all of professional baseball. It didn't get any worse logistically than Bakersfield and High Desert, uh, the two teams that contracted out of the Cal League. They left for a reason. Uh, that reason is exemplified in pretty much every page of this book. <laughs> and I think it's a look at kind of the way minor league baseball used to be. And uh, in some ways is romantic and, and sort of, you know, wistful about how it used to be and how we wish it were, you know, that way again. And in some ways it's very honest to say, you know, Bakersfield was an awful place and here are some ridiculous things that happened there and, and you know, you, you can't get this anywhere else. So it should be interesting and um, it, the stories are good and, and I'll be interested to hear what people say about it. I think it's kind of a universal baseball Americana type thing that, uh, that you read it no matter what fan you're a team of or whatever. You read it and you say, man, you know, those poor Bakersfield boys. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to follow Bobby Demiro on Twitter. It's Bobby, D-E-M-U-R-O. That is his Twitter handle. Bobby, thanks so much, and uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, talking again in the future. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll be in uh, Colorado Springs in Montana this summer, so let's, uh, let, let's talk again in September, and if the uh, website is a success, I will give you all the credit, and... Uh, you know, you can bask in that glory. I've got that on tape. I, I may replay that for you when we're talking in September. <laughs> that's, that's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Awesome. Thank you. Bobby DeMiro joining us, the founder of Baseball Census, and we appreciate him taking the time with us today here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley, starting to uh, wrap up this edition of the program. Again, if you've got any comments, either on the podcast generally or uh, want to comment on anything that we got into during the course of the program, always encourage you to uh, tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio. That's M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. And uh, always like talking Brewers with people who uh, who enjoy talking it so we'll, we'll talk it that's what i'm saying we'll i don't have to just talk on this and on, and on the radio we can uh, we can talk on twitter and uh, get into a, a good number of things so feel free to uh Join me uh, on Twitter and join the Brewers conversation. Coming up uh, this week, here is your Brewers broadcast schedule as uh, we continue to somewhat amp up the uh, spring training games that we are going to have on the radio over at 620 WTMJ. This week, we will have games on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, Tuesday against the Cubs, Thursday against Arizona. Saturday against the Cubs, Sunday against San Francisco. Broadcast start times for all four of those games will begin at 3.05. In terms of uh, the just the schedule for the week uh, for the Brewers, uh, they will t- uh, start it on Monday. Obviously, they have a full slate of games, no off days uh, this week. They take on the Mariners on Monday, at the Cubs on Tuesday, at the Rockies on Wednesday, home against the Diamondbacks on Thursday, home against the uh, Royals on Friday, home against the Cubs on Saturday, and then at San Francisco on Sunday. Their next off day in uh, spring training is going to be coming up uh, on Monday. Uh, so that's uh, that's still a few days away. They'll have a full week's worth of play before they finally get that off day again. So that is going to do it for the program this week. Again, do want to say thank you to uh, my guest, Brad Ford from uh, Disciples of Euchre, and uh, Bobby DeMiro, the founder of uh, Baseball Census. This has been Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. 
and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.